The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Samaritas, the state's largest private foster care and adoption agency. However, Samaritas also provides a number of other services around the state. They are one of the largest refugee resettlement agencies in Michigan. They serve homeless families, persons with disabilities, abused and trafficked women. They also provide market rate and affordable housing for seniors and HUD housing for families and also have skilled nursing, memory care and rehab communities in Grand Rapids, Cadillac and Saginaw. Samaritas, we thank them for their support here at Deadline Detroit. Hey everybody, happy Wednesday. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Glad to have you with me today. And coming up on today's program, we're going to talk about a couple of different things in front of Detroit City Council. A couple of new ordinances that could have pretty wide-ranging impacts. One of them dealing with dogs. Of course, in the wake of the tragic death of the girl in the alley when the dogs attacked her, there are some new regulations being considered by council at this point in time. We'll take a look at those. And also, Airbnb owners could be severely impacted by some changes that are going to be taking place to the city's rental ordinance. We'll talk a little bit about that as well, stuff you need to know. So that's all coming up on the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Just a little explainer today, and I think next week when I get back, maybe we can open this up to some debate with some of you around the uh, city. Um, I'll get something set up so that we can actually talk about this stuff, because I think these are things that you're going to care about. So anyway, give it a listen. I always appreciate that, and we'll be right back. The Craig Folly Show is made possible in part by Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. Also, home to Deadline Detroit TV, which includes The Zip, a weekly wrap-up of the week's news with some humor. Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. Hey everybody, welcome to The Craig Show. Glad to have you with me today. Uh, Like I said, I do like to keep people up to date on things that are going on, and I'm just going to give some information today. Uh, really about what Detroit City Council is considering on a couple of different things. Uh, Obviously, Airbnb is the top of mind for a lot of folks. There's been some discussion about what's going to happen there, so we'll talk about that in a little bit. But I want to start out today talking about dogs and how the city might want to respond to the dog issue. We've had discussions, of course, on this program before about uh, the fact that there aren't any simple solutions uh, to dealing with problem dogs and dangerous animals in this community. Of course, the death of Emma Hernandez in an alley by a couple of dogs that were not properly secured is causing Detroit City Council to take a look at the dangerous animals ordinance and potentially make some changes to it. But some of the changes may go a little farther than a lot of people expect. Uh, And if you look at it, some of these could really make owning a dog in the city very, very difficult for a number of people. Now, obviously, we want to protect people. We want to make sure there aren't dangerous dogs out there that are capable of doing something like this. But the stress that this is likely going to put on animal control without the resources uh, that they need to do this could be significant. And also, enforcing the laws that they're talking about changing is going to be difficult. And also, some of this seems like, and if you're a dog person, and I've had dogs most of my life, if you're a dog person, some of these may seem unreasonable. But I'll let you decide that and tell me what you think about that. And I'll put some comments, I'll put it out there for comments and stuff like that. But I want to go through what's being talked about. So obviously, you know, the description of dangerous animals, that's something that's been pretty consistent in the city. But what they're trying to do is really ramp up enforcement of these laws and and put up some pretty significant penalties to people that have animals that could be deemed aggressive or dangerous. Now, obviously, they already have a definition for a dangerous animal in Detroit. And so basically, a dangerous animal, this is what they say. 
This is an animal that has attacked, bitten, or otherwise caused injury to a person without provocation, or has attacked, bitten, or otherwise caused injury to another domesticated animal without provocation, or has chased or approached any person on one or more occasion and without provocation on any public property or on any private property that is not the property of the animal's owner in an apparent attempt to attack or injure the person. That makes sense. I don't think anybody's going to disagree with that. But what they're talking about doing now is that any resident can submit to the department a complaint of a nuisance behavior. And so here's, here's what people can complain about. This is what they're going to be able to complain about. And then the uh, animal department will have to respond to this within 14 days. So here's what we've got. Allegations of nuisance behavior for a minimum of two interactions for any complaint of an animal that unreasonably disturbs or annoys the quiet, comfort, and repose of persons in the vicinity by loud, frequent, habitual, or repeated barking, howling, or yelping, or allegations of nuisance behavior for a minimum of a two-week time frame for any complaint of an animal that defecates, digs, or urinates upon any building, lawn, plant, shrub, tree, or any other public property, or any private property other than that is not the property of the animal's owner without being abated by the owner. So basically, clean up after your animal. Don't let them dig holes in somebody else's yard. Don't let them pee all over everything. That's what they're saying there. But animal care and control upon receipt of that verifiable nuisance complaint has to evaluate all of them and then conduct a nuisance animal hearing. So then you have to notify the animal's owner within 14 days of this complaint. And then, of course, the administrator or a designee will hear testimony regarding the alleged nuisance behavior and will have the authority to issue a nuisance animal determination. So is this a hearing system that is already in place, but it's going to be clogged up a lot more because there are lots of dog complaints that exist out there. Now, here are some potential changes to this, right? Okay, nuisance penalties can include installation and maintenance of any enclosure, pen, or structure used to confine the animal out of doors shall be a minimum of six feet in height and constructed so that the side shall be embedded into the ground by a depth of at least two feet. So you're talking about an eight-foot fence, two feet deep so the dog can't dig underneath it. Installation and maintenance of a privacy fence as permitted by law to limit views to neighboring yards or the street and mandatory attendance at a dog training class within 30 days of issuance of the nuisance determination and submission of a certificate of program completion to be submitted to the department. So what we're going to have is a whole lot of dog investigations going on in the city. And again, this is a department that is already understaffed. There aren't enough people to do this. And if you're adding sort of a, uh, a hearing component to this, that is going to cause a lot of problems. Now, it doesn't mean that it's not warranted, and it doesn't mean they shouldn't do something, but there need to be the resources to accompany this stuff if you're going to do this. And again, enforcement of that. If somebody gets this order, they have a dog that has been identified and they have a hearing, again, uh, construction of an eight-foot fence or even a privacy fence could be out of the reach of a lot of people. Now, granted, if you own a dog, you are responsible for that dog. You are responsible for making sure that that dog does not harm anybody. So that requirement is one that a lot of people will have to take seriously. Now, I want to talk about some of the penalties that they're talking about for somebody that is determined to have a dangerous animal. So this is what the language would say. It says, In all cases where an animal has been issued a potentially dangerous animal or a dangerous animal determination and the animal is not euthanized, the administrator shall make the determination of whether the animal may be returned to its owner. As part of the terms of the return, the administrator shall order the owner to comply with the following requirements. The owner shall maintain proper licensing and up-to-date vaccinations for the animal. Where the animal was capable of reproduction prior to the potentially dangerous animal, the animal must be sterilized. 
So forced fixing of, of animals. When the animal is on the owner's property, it must be confined securely indoors or securely outdoors within a locked enclosure pen or structure that prevents the entry of any person and the escape of the confined animal. That's that six-foot fence with a two-feet-underneath requirement. Now, if the dog has been determined to be dangerous or, or deemed potentially dangerous, while off the owner's property, an animal that has been issued a potentially dangerous determination must be securely muzzled to prevent the possibility of biting and under restraint by a substantial chain or leash not exceeding six feet in length by a person 18 years of age or older. So adults only, walking dogs with muscles would be enforceable under this. The owner of that animal also has to put a sign, a warning notice on any premises that says, warning, dangerous animal, keep away. Now there's some newly requested amendments that city council is looking at right now. And of course, I should remind you that Brenda Jones, the city council president, is the one that put this forward. And this is something that I think is going to give people problems. All those things we talked about before, those are reasonable, reasonable requests. But this is where non-breed specific issues come into play here, right? And we're not talking about just pit bulls. But here's the stuff. For animals of 18 inches in height or over and 35 pounds in weight or heavier, Mandatory registration and approval of a special animal license with a fee to be determined by the Department of Animal Care and Control with the following requirements. You can't have had any previously potentially dangerous animal complaints. So if you had a dog before that you had to put to sleep for some reason because it attacked somebody, you won't be able to get a dog that's large again. Mandatory criminal background check for dog owners. No outstanding blight violations. Proof of personal training, of professional training courses for your dog. Mandatory spay and neuter unless approved by a breeder, for a breeder's license. So unless you are breeding the dogs and you have a breeder's license, you have to mandatorily spay and neuter an animal over 35 pounds. Mandatory annual inspection and renewal. And again, if you, you, your license gets suspended if you get any of those complaints about being a nuisance animal or a potentially dangerous animal. Potentially dangerous. That's going to be the tough one. You get your revoked, you get your license for your dog revoked if your animal is captured at large. So if your dog gets out of the house, maybe you got a kid who opened the door by mistake and the dog runs away and the police pick it up or animal control picks it up, you will lose your license. Mandatory tracking devices in the dogs. So microchips. Mandatory requirement of liability insurance. You will have to be 21 years old to own a dog and a num limited number of licenses issued annually. So they're going to limit how many people can get dogs over 35 pounds or over 18 inches tall. Now, a lot of dogs, Basset Hound is over 35 pounds. A fat Corgi could be over 35 pounds. But this is not breed specific. So any dog that's over 35 pounds is going to be treated differently than, than, you know, a Pekingese or something like that. So even if you have a golden retriever that does nothing but lick somebody to death, you're going to have to carry insurance, you are going to have to have a license, you're going to have to be 21, and you're going to have to spay and neuter your animal. Now, the insurance question and the spaying and neutering, that's expensive stuff. It's not cheap to do these things. So in effect, if you don't have money, you can't have a dog. Even if you can afford to feed it, even if you can afford the vet bills, if you can't afford the insurance, you can't afford this, you can't afford a dog. So you will be limited as to what kind of dog you can buy. Because if it's under 35 pounds, apparently you don't have to worry about this stuff. But over 35 pounds, which is not a heavy dog, this is going to be happening. Now granted, they have not voted on this. 
all of this stuff is still under consideration right now. In fact, the law, the city law department has been uh, given these requirements, these amendments to look up the legality of it and put it into legislative form so the council can vote on it at some point going forward. Now, there are some other aspects to this, uh, fines and things like that, you know, $500 fines potentially for being in violation of some of these things, and they go up if you get another one, and they go up again. But I just want to put this out there so you can know what they're up to, what they're looking at right now, the kinds of things that they're considering at the city level. And I want to know what you think. Is a 35-pound dog, regardless of the breed, something that needs to be regulated differently than a different type of dog or a different animal? And is this responsible? Is this reasonable? I'm not sure. I haven't figured that out yet, but this is something that they're looking at. They haven't voted on it yet. They are taking a look as to whether or not this is something they can do legally, but this is the language that's out there right now. I just wanted to make sure you're aware of what it is they're trying to do and get your thoughts. So I'll put something up on Facebook a little bit later on today, and I'll ask the question. We'll get some feedback, and then uh, I'm also going to be talking to some people about this in the next few days. I'll be out of town, but you know when I come back... We'll get into this because this is something that's going to be probably pretty hotly debated at the council table at some point in time. So anyway, dog people, just know it's going to be harder to own a dog in Detroit. There's going to be more requirements. And at the same time, it's going to put a lot of pressure on animal control to see if they can actually enforce these laws because they already struggle with the laws that are on the books now. I just wanted to make you aware. You can make up your own mind as to whether or not this is a good idea, and we'll talk about that. But thanks for listening to this part. I'll be back in just a couple of minutes. I want to talk about Airbnb and some of the regulations that the council is looking at there. And that's also something we'll be following up on in the next few days. So stay with me on the Craig Pauly Show on Deadline Detroit. The Craig Pauly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services. Hey, welcome back to the show on this Wednesday. I certainly do appreciate it. Uh, Today's episode, we're talking about things that City Council is looking at. We obviously talked about the dog ordinance. And again, no opinions offered by me on whether this is a good idea or a bad idea. I just wanted to give you some information. And I'm going to do the same thing now about some proposed regulations on Airbnb operators in the city of Detroit and some of the arguments you're going to hear both pro and con for this ordinance. So, We'll get into that right now because this is actually something that has been on uh, Councilwoman uh, Janae Ayer's mind for quite a while. She, of course, is an at-large member of Detroit City Council, and she's been getting complaints from neighbors about so-called party houses. And this is something that other cities have dealt with as well. You have people that own these Airbnb residences. They don't necessarily live in them, and groups will rent these places, throw parties in there. And a lot of neighbors have complained about garbage, noise, things like that, rowdy parties that are taking place in houses that are not primary residences for the Airbnb operator, but a property they own that they use as a short-term rental. And it's not just Airbnb. There are other companies that do this as well. But for these purposes, it's sort of like saying Kleenex, right? Everybody knows Kleenex is a tissue. Airbnb is sort of the dominant player in the industry. So if we say Airbnb, that's what we're talking about here. All short-term rentals like this. Now, other cities have had much larger numbers of Airbnb properties uh, in operating in them. And one of the organizing groups that has been really upset about this are people that own hotels and motels because they pay certain taxes to the city for things that Airbnb operators at the moment don't pay for, things like stadium taxes and all that sort of stuff. And there's always a surcharge put onto those hotel rooms, which makes their prices a little bit higher than you might pay for Airbnb. And I can see why these 
industries, of course, nobody wants competition. They don't want a ton of competition anyway, um, would be upset that maybe Airbnb operators have a, a it's, it's not an even playing field for them. But granted, their numbers are still way smaller. There's less than 1,000 in operation in Detroit right now. But in cities like San Francisco, where real estate and hotel prices and everything else are at a premium, a lot of people have been renting out their places to supplement their income, to help them pay their mortgage, whatever. Or if they own multiple properties, they will live in one and rent out the other one all the time. And the hotels, understandably, this doesn't, they don't like it. And it's, it's you know, they're, of course they're going to fight for their, for their business. But one of the problems that they have here and uh, that they're talking about in Detroit again is this party house. That's what sort of started this whole thing, this notion of a party house. And if you look nationwide at some of the criticism of Airbnb out there, it's spreading beyond just this potential neighborhood nuisance. You're starting to see more and more instances of prostitution taking place in Airbnb houses, part-term, you know, short-term brothels popping up in Airbnb rentals. And this has been some of the argument that people are using to suggest that Airbnbs are bad for the neighborhoods is that people are using them as, as dens of prostitution. We haven't seen a lot of complaints about that in Detroit at this point in time, but if you basically look it up online, Google it, so many of the other cities that have been ahead of Detroit on regulating this industry have been talking about that as a problem that they're trying to solve. And of course, the Airbnb operators push back saying, eh, this is just another excuse they're using to regulate us like they would hotels and charge us these taxes. Now, I don't think any of the operators would be upset about some sort of an ordinance um, that regulates it in some way. But what they're talking about in Detroit actually does have some Airbnb operators upset. One of the main things is that it would have to be your primary residence. You could only rent out space in your primary residence. So you'd have to live there. So if you own another house that you normally would rent out on a long-term basis, but you wanted to use it as an Airbnb instead, that would not be allowed here. Now, the other thing that they're talking about is a, uh, a limit to one per thousand feet. So I, for instance, know one person who operates an Airbnb this person has a house between the two houses that she uses as Airbnbs. So one of them would have to go. Actually, both of them would because she doesn't live in either of them as her primary residence. She lives in the house in the middle. That's her home, maintains the two on the either side. So she would basically be regulated out of existence in this instance. And her place has actually been bringing business to that neighborhood. A neighborhood that is not one of the fancier neighborhoods in the city by any stretch of the imagination. But she's been bringing visitors and traffic and getting consistent levels of people staying there. A few hundred nights a year. And people have been raving about this place, but she would no longer be able to operate it under the current rental ordinance. I don't think that was the intended goal of something like this, but I understand again where they're coming from in terms of trying to suggest that you can only have one per thousand feet. They don't want entire neighborhoods being short-term rental places. And that's a concern for neighbors in the neighborhood. They are worried about that because one, any neighborhood you go to in Detroit you talk to people, they always worry about renters. Well, we have too many renters in the neighborhood. It, it's one of the most confounding and, and um, frustrating arguments that I heard day in and day out at the land bank. I go to these block club meetings and every resident that owned their home would complain about renters in their neighborhood as if they never rented a place themselves at some point in their life. They forget that not everybody's in a position to buy a home or doesn't want to necessarily buy a home. It doesn't make them a bad person if they're a renter. But they get even more squirrely about this idea of short-term rentals, people coming in for a day or two who have no connection to the neighborhood and, and therefore won't take care of it. So this is fostering some of the movement around this as well. But then there's one other aspect of this that I think is really, really important. They're trying to suggest that you can only have 90 days a year, which basically eliminates a lot of people's potential income on this. So, so it becomes something, yes, that may supplement 
your income or help you pay your mortgage on the home that you're living in. But if you want to do this as a business, a viable business that actually is creating an income stream for you, it becomes very difficult if you can only operate for 90 out of 365 days in a year. And that sort of defeats the purpose of this. And for a lot of people, it, it's a disincentive to actually operate it. So that's that's a problem. That's like, uh, it, here, here's, a, I guess, something that would be equivalent, right? That's like t- telling an Uber driver that you can only work 90 days out of the year and it becomes pretty obvious that you're doing this just to just to prop up the taxi cab industry at the expense of Uber. That's sort of what this is like. And I don't know if that analogy is a great one, but that's sort of what it seems like, limiting their ability to operate this business. Now, Airbnb does pay Michigan taxes every year. But to do this, you would have a very short window in the month of January in which to apply to be an Airbnb operator course, then there's going to be a fee that you have to pay to the city to be an Airbnb operator as well. The other thing that you have to do is prove that you have all your safety equipment, you know, inspections would come through, making sure you've got, of course, fire extinguishers, fire alarms, that sort of stuff. So there'd be a safety inspection as well as part of this. But again, and I understand, I understand the rationale behind this. You don't want absentee landlords renting their places out for Airbnb and not being somewhat accountable for what happens in those places whether it's loud parties, whether it's prostitution, whether somebody is in there doing illegal activities, who knows, or just trashing the neighborhood or leaving garbage out there. I get that, but most of these operators are doing this in a good way. Yes, I've seen some anecdotal stories, and I've talked to neighbors about some of these, uh, some of these houses in some of the neighborhoods, and there definitely needs to be something to curb down on, you know, some fraternity or something like that, renting out an Airbnb and throwing a big party that annoys everybody in the neighborhood. I get that part. And you certainly don't want pop-up brothels happening in our city. I get that. But most of the Airbnb operators I've met are doing this because, again, it either earns them money or it helps them pay their bills or whatever. They're willing to share their homes and, in some instances, maybe operate a business similar to a regular bed and breakfast. It's not something that is really hampering the hotel industry. We wouldn't see a number of new boutique hotels uh, being built in the city of Detroit if there wasn't going to be demand for this. But it can be a much more affordable way to stay in Detroit than staying at one of the hotels. Some people like it this way. They like having a kitchen. They like having a home that they can sit in. Others don't like it. They'll stay in hotels. But again, this is what's being proposed. There's going to be a debate over this. It's not going to be pushed through this summer. Uh, I have a feeling that we'll probably see some hearings on this and and a number of opportunities for public comment on this coming up over the next few weeks. I'm going to try to get Councilwoman Janae Ayers to talk about her perspective on this and talk to some Airbnb operators about how they feel about it. I've been in contact with some folks already, and so I'm hoping to have that maybe next week on the program. In the meantime, I'm going to leave it open for comments on my Facebook page, and I hope you comment on this. So I'll put this post up a little bit later today. You'll be able to see it, and you can talk about whether or not you agree. But again, that's what today's show is, just information about things that are being debated in the city. Two hot-button issues, I think, for a number of people. And again, the dog stuff, the Airbnb, these are a couple of big changes that are coming to the city potentially. This is something that's been bandied about for a while, and now it looks like they're getting serious about debating it, which is their job, is to figure out how this stuff works. And your job as citizens is to participate. Give people your feedback. Let them know what you think about what they're proposing. And so I'm just trying to make sure that you're armed with a little bit of information so you go in there knowing what is being proposed for this community. Thanks for listening today, everybody. I certainly do appreciate it. 
A reminder, no show tomorrow for Thursday, but Friday, the week that was, that is going to be on. And so look for that. I'll have that uh, audio posted uh, on Friday afternoon, and I think the video will probably be up on early Saturday if you want to watch that. I'm going to be out of town uh, for a couple of days, and I will be back, but I'm pre-recording some of this stuff so that you can see it. Anyway, it's going to be fun. Send me an email, thecraigfollyshow at gmail.com. Find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, and of course, find me on the street. I'm always downtown. Have a great day, everybody. This has been The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. We'll see you on Friday for the week that was. Hey there, my name is Seth Ressler. Hi everyone, it's Becky Scarcello. I am new to the Detroit area. And I've been here my whole life. So we started a podcast together. It's called The D Brief. Detroit's arts and entertainment podcast. We cover concerts, comedy, plays, food, drink, all kinds of stuff. All the cool events around town, things to do, and the people that are doing them. Can we talk about some of the people we've had as guests on this podcast? Hey, this is Mark Kurlianchik, the restaurant critic for the Detroit Free Press. Hi, I'm Ian DeLisi, and I host Essential Music on 1019 WDET. Hi, this is Mark Ridley of Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle. Hey, this is Kate Williams, executive chef of Lady of the House. Hey, this is Mel Town from WRAF in Detroit. This is Josh Mallerman, author of Bird Box. This is Carmen Hart. Curator of film at the Detroit Institute of Arts. President and founder of Valentine Distilling Company. The general manager of innovation experiences for the Henry Ford. Arts and entertainment editor at the Detroit Free Press. The Michigan Science Center. Arts Beats and Detroit. If you like going out in the city of Detroit, you're going to like this podcast. The Debrief Podcast. We like to say Detroit's moving. Keep up. The Debrief. Your guide to Detroit's arts and entertainment scene.